right? Um, but when I there's a whole lot that I want to say before the room actually kicks off. And the first thing I want to say is about the Karma Club and the Karma Coin. For weeks and months, I've been saying um, the Karma Club is sponsored by the Karma Coin. And the Karma Coin is a social token that means you are a fan of the club and a fan of me and a fan of what I'm doing to help other artists. And what has happened is that in true Web3 Wild West ways, uh, <laughs> the uh, the platform that KarmaCoin is on, which is the Rally.io platform, um, has had what they like to call a glitch, what I consider a mortifying experience. And the glitch, the glitch is that there's, they have problems completing their transactions. So, I'm going to say to you that you probably should not try and either buy or sell Karma Coins right now until they get this straightened out. And it, the, the money, if you already own them, the, the money is safe. So that's not an issue. But the, the process is really screwed up. And I don't want my people who are dependent on karma because they are, you know, friends of mine and people who uh, I, we've been working together for uh, oh, maybe sometimes two years together. So I don't want anyone to go into something where I don't know how it works anymore because the interesting thing is the people involved don't know how it works. Every day, Rally sends another uh, message on the Discord that says, uh, don't worry, your funds are safe. Um, we still haven't diagnosed the problem. This is not confidence inspiring. So Web3, you know, itself is not confidence inspiring because it's very early. So I can't... Um, so anyway, I can't recommend the Karma Coin for right now. I'm going to straighten it out. And then, of course, when I straighten it out, I will, hi, Barbara, I will tell you um, what's happening because I'm sure it's going to be interesting in one way or the other. And we're going to all go through this. As they say in Web3, you know, wag me which means we all make it together. Well, we, we all make it together. And if these social tokens, uh, nobody really understands them, even the people who, you know, make them and, and ask us to participate, if they don't understand it, how can we be, we the evangelists and we the people who have found out use cases for them, how can we be expected to continue participating. So anyway, that's my that's my little housekeeping matter about Karma Club and Karma Coin. Karma Club isn't going away. Karma Coin may or may not. So let's just see what Rally 
rally figures out about its platform. And in the meantime, um, I'll have to figure out another way to sponsor myself. And I'm sure I will because I'm not a babe in the woods. This is not my first rodeo. Um, and it isn't my first for Oh, we operate. The you were getting, you were cutting off, Francine. It's, hi, everyone. Um, and welcome all to everyone on call and inside as well. So we're simulcasting as usual. And so join us on stage anytime. I have to tell you something about Colin. Uh, Charlie's there too on the other side. So you could actually tell him as well. Charlie. Charlie Weiser. <laughs> I have to tell you something about Colin. It's way more successful for us than Clubhouse has been. And Invited Charlie is, up to the stage. And that, yeah, and that's kind of interesting. We have more downloads there, and I'm getting I'm getting very fond of call-in, for which I have to thank Heyman. Oh, you're welcome. And you know, and also, I think the key thing is access too, right? Because I think that's the that was my always my focus, just making sure that there was no device issues for people and having accessibility and also this is they had the podcasting and recording way before anyone else so right. that was a great thing and now they also push it to spotify apple etc yeah which means that we have we actually have downloads on our podcast and we're actually making a real uh, you know it's i wouldn't call it professional just yet but let's call it a semi-pro podcast Anyway, on to, hi, Brian, um, on to um, women and money and leadership. We all know a lot about women in leadership because Barbara's been telling us and also because um, there's, there's a great emphasis on getting more women into corporate leadership. And me, I'm uh, determined to get more women into political leadership because I think it couldn't be any worse politically on both sides, as they like to say, than it is now. And that I believe women could make it better because women are used to being mothers and mothers are used to refereeing. And what the global world order requires right now, more than anything else, appears to be refereeing. Okay, so we've gone by that point, and we will now land on women and money, which is a very complex subject, because when I was younger, women could not have control of their own finances. If you were married, um, your husband had to sign on your bank account. And this led me to invest in one of the first women's banks in New York back in the 70s. And, and although that bank went out of business, it really showed um, a lot of male bankers that there were women who were worthy of a bank and, and should have got, gotten to be on bank accounts by themselves. Okay, so... We then have gotten to where women can buy houses by themselves, which also didn't used to be the case. And then we got to where women outlived men, which is where we are now, and where women end up inheriting a lot of money. They, women make money, they inherit money, 
and they end up with a lot of money and many of them do not know how to manage it and are frightened about the whole subject of managing their money and dealing with their money. And, and yet, there is a whole industry devoted to helping women plan their finances. And that industry is, you guessed it, run by men. Um, it's, it's very, very interesting. Anyway, Gouda, would you tell everybody now who's in the room uh, what you learned about women billionaires? Oh, yes, yes, of course. So according to Forbes magazine, there are 2,668 billionaires today in the world this year, right? And from this number, only 327 are women, okay? And uh, their worth collectively is $1.56 trillion, all right? Which is $3 trillion more than last year, okay? And uh, they... So we're making they, money they, over here on the women's side. Yep. Yeah, and there's <laughs> one thing. The one that is the richest ones, they say is that Françoise Bittencourt-Meyers, she owns L'Oreal, but other sources says that is Alice Walton or Julia Corp. So between these three women, they basically, they just rotate on the first position, right? And normally what they are saying is that most women are billionaires or or even millionaires by inheritance or marriage. And that shows exactly probably what we are here to talk about. Yeah, but that, that's, a, I mean, I don't mind how women get their money. What I do mind is that the only 23% of financial planners are women. So let, yeah. us, let us assume that a woman has money. Um, she is likely going to um, likely going to hand it over to a man to manage why you know it, uh, Barbara yeah well what's interesting about that particular thing and I also want to say there's over 252 million women entrepreneurs uh, plus another 153 million women uh, operating established businesses so we've got a lot going on here but the thing about the, the investment, you're right, Dr. Francine, women are afraid of managing their money. They're afraid of becoming bag lady, no matter how. Um, there's a background noise. Heyman, do you know what that is? Uh, not oh, my side. Me. Oh, Francine. You know what it is? It's Francine getting up out of her moon pod. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. A moon okay. pod, oh. like a beanbag chair, and okay. I just I just got up out of mine because I want to look at some statistics I found about women. Okay, great. Okay, what was the last thing you heard me say, Heyman? Do you know? Um, sorry, I got rustled. I'll repeat. Okay, so you're right, Dr. Francine. One of the biggest fears is women investing in, in they don't trust it and they're afraid of losing money, but they're also the best investors, right? That's why you, you hear the stats around the three trillion over last year. But you're right, it's operated by men or men who lack gender intelligence. And that's why we have clients such as, I won't mention the name, but it's a financial services 
firm that came to us about three years ago and said, help, help, help. 72% of our women clients fire their financial advisor within one year of their spouse passing away. And we don't know how to get them back. And I said, well, you probably lost them at hello. So we did a little deep dive investigation. Of course, they made some stereotypical assumptions that women weren't the key decision makers. They didn't pay attention to them when they were in dual career you know, advisement. And uh, they didn't treat how women want to be treated. Women want a lot more information, a lot more detail. Uh, men want the facts, the profit margins. You know, you can make 10%, 12% on this, that kind of thing, right? Um, so it was just a blind spot that financial advisors, men, which are mostly men, have. The other challenge is that women don't stay as financial advisors because they don't like working in the environment or the culture they work in. So you've got a culture problem and then you've got the client side as well. That's a challenge. But I also want to talk a little bit about when we get to that around the impact the pandemics had on women and finance, because I think that's super important as well. But as uh, I, think, I think so too. But yeah. I've got a bunch of statistics here that say only 18% of women, you can see how it's better now than it used to be. 18% of women between the ages of 60 and 75 passed a financial literacy quiz on retirement. That's terrible because yes, that's, indeed. they probably will outlive men. I, I was at a senior community, community yesterday and there was like one man to every 50 women. So the women end up living longer and 35% of men pass the same quiz. And that I think that is hilarious because if men have been in charge of women's finances back in the day, you know, if only 35% of them are, are financially literate, no wonder the women are losing money because the men don't know anything either. You know, it's like men do prioritize growing their wealth more than women do, but only 35% of men even prioritize growing their wealth. So this two thirds of men don't even care about financial literacy and about 20% of women. So, and it says women are nearly twice as likely to have negative feelings about finances as men. And that's crazy. Why have, why would somebody, well, here's another wild statistic. On average, women will reach their peak earnings at age 44 with a salary of $66,700. Men reach their peak earnings at age 55 with an average of $101,200. I'm just guessing, but I'm guessing that discrimination caps women out earlier because I, and I, I, I'm sure I'm wrong about this, but I'm going to say it anyway, because as soon as you um, are not a babe, um, you cap out on income. Is there any truth to that? No, there is oh, not. <laughs> so women, baby boomers actually are making more money, but there is a one, 
domino effect that do, does occur for women is when they enter their career, they don't negotiate their salary and men do. So they start already in a one down position and it costs them over $1 million over the course of their career uh, in salary because they haven't negotiated at their very first job. So that's one thing. Second, there's bias. There's conscious and unconscious bias with women. And I experienced it when I worked in my previous employers at Sony. You know, I, I was the top sell, salesperson in the company, MVP award, 14 of Sony Sales Achievement Award. But I was at a dinner and uh, I heard a joke. One of the managers said, you know, we should hire more women because we get uh, twice the results for half the money. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm the only woman. And this is what he said. He must be talking about me. <laughs> so, so I phoned my, I was the Western sales manager, phoned the Eastern sales manager back then. And I said, how much are you making a guy? And I found out that he was making 30, almost 38% more than me. And I went to HR and said, what's going on with that? I'm the top producer making three, make a long story short. They said, well, he's, he's the primary income earner. He's got two kids. And I said, well, I have three and I'm a single mom. I'm divorced mom. Right. Anyway, I negotiated, I got, you know, I got equal pay, but often that's blind to women, right? So we don't know that. And uh, do you so think that, that income transparency? Th there used to be a time when you couldn't ask anybody what they yep. made or was yep. considered, you know, not not you know polite. Yep. Um, and, and all of these salary things were um, behind a curtain. Now they're transparent. So yep. does that it's make a, a difference? Big time. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only problem is that it ends up in litigation. You know, so Goldman Sachs, for example, has the largest gender discrimination lawsuit in the history of business. Right. Uh, part, partially it has to do with this transparency that, you know, women are beginning to see that. So we need to not treat it in a legality way, but treat it in a correction, you know, like I did. I didn't go to a lawyer. I went to HR. It took me seven months, you know. But I did get it corrected, right? And where I got it can corrected. Where can women go? Where can women go to find? Does anyone know where women can go to find out where the the um, pay disparities are? I do know a place. I don't have it on hand, but I will. I will share it with with Heyman. How's that, Heyman? When I find it, sounds good. Yeah, that, that's that's yeah. a good idea. And I'll I'll yeah. also uh, paste it in the call inside Maybe as well. Yeah, great, beautiful. Thank you for that. Okay, the yep. average life expectancy for a woman born in the U.S. in 2020 is 81 years, while the average life expectancy for men is 76. So yep. there's five years, um, you know, during which women will live without their spouses if indeed they had them. Anyway, yep. it's pretty, pretty pathetic. Huh. And and women need to know more about money from start to finish, especially women of yeah. color. Yeah. And there is, yeah. back to Guda's point, there is a, a huge transformation occurring, the women and wealth, and all the big banks are after that clientele because they want it. Because one of the things that women, on average, when women have a positive experience versus men, in any relationship, men will tell up to three people only is relevant. Women will tell up to 32 people, whether it's negative or positive. So women can be your best promoters. And that's what financial advisors have discovered, saying, oh, if I really service her, I'm going to get 32 more clients potentially, right? 
So, um, so there's a, a, you know, there's a competitive advantage here too in really understanding women and wealth and the future of the growth of women and wealth. And also most of the decisions have been made by women, right? Sorry, Gouda. Yeah. 85% consumer spending. Now, I was just going to say that there's also uh, uh, an information that uh, women are actually better clients. They they really make sure that they they they, they reach their payments, their deadlines, they're in compliance with their contracts to get money, investors, and all that. World Bank actually has a statistic that shows that women return even microfinancing. Uh, over 90% return rate. Um, it's, it's, it's over the moon in terms of women loyalty. And then the other thing is back to Heyman's point about, you know, women are buying, buying decision. 85% of consumer spending is done by women and women, they don't buy brands. They join brands when they feel valued, right? That's really the key. If it's relatable and they feel valued. I have a financial advisor I've had for 35 years and, and my bank manager and they're both guys and I love them. Uh, they've read all my books and all that stuff, so that's good. But, you know, they're great, right? So I, I don't change. Even though they change branches, I move with them, even though they're further away, right? So that loyalty factor is another thing that comes up for women. I don't know if you, you Dr. Francine, but I actually rather pay more and have a really, really good relationship. Oh, I have a woman managing my money. Yeah. I definitely do, but I don't pay more. But I'm curious, there is someone in the chat, Lamar Elegba, who said, these white women up here lying. And I'd like to, I'd like to know how, Lamar, you could add to what we're saying and make it truer. Because for sure, we're not meaning to lie. There may be things we don't know. But, you know, I'd be willing, if you want to come up, raise your hand. He may have left, and, so I'll, I'll uh, ping him then. I'll message him. Yeah, and okay. tell him that I, I didn't yep. get to see him on the chat. Uh, Mitch, Mitch DeLeon in the chat said, yeah. I was in a Zoom call with a 25-year-old Swedish woman influencer entrepreneur and her boyfriend. In three years, they've managed to create a sustainable fashion brand from zero to eight million USD. The future is female in channels we may not understand. Will she be a billionaire? Who knows? But women are rewriting the rules. And then there is someone in in the audience from CSQ Consultancy saying product loyalty is high among women. And... I I know that is true. That's that's one of those things that hasn't changed. Women are are very loyal. Barbara, have no. the, the, yeah, the biggest loyalty women, factor in women. Yeah. No, Good. women Sorry, also. Women also apparently they invest more. They put more money also in philanthropy and social uh, projects as well. Right. The other thing that I found out is that the salary gap is just the tip of the iceberg for the gap of wealth between men and women. Because if you go and look into the assets, the patrimony, you would say in English as well, right? That gap is actually much bigger than the salary gap in comparison 
between the genders. That's interesting. That's that's extremely interesting. Um, there, there are some interesting things around women entrepreneurs, including myself, uh, in terms of getting finance. So there was Industry Canada did a study, and they took 250 MBA students and they gave them the same uh, pitch deck to uh, apply for a loan. Uh, both men and women MBA students went into banks. Same pitch, same language, same ask, all of it. And um, 37% of women were approved and 72% of men were approved. So women go through this extra scrutinizing, right? And uh, I myself could not get a loan, bank loan, when I started my business. You know, they kind of say, good luck, good luck, girl, right? I had to maximize my credit cards. And now I have a multi-million dollar business. But in, in the beginning, that just wasn't the case, right? So. And I never got a loan the entire time I was in business. You know when I got a loan? After I sold no. my business to Intel. And then everybody was like, yeah. have a loan, Francine. Have a loan. You know, yeah. not when I needed it. Not at all. So Mitch from the audience on the Clubhouse side uh, just messaged us and said, like, there was an interesting fact about uh, whether the uh, – is this the problem with this? Is it a more of a Western thing? Because he's noted an article from a reputable South China Post basically says that China is now home to two-thirds of the world's top women billionaires, uh, four times more than the U.S. Uh, Zahorin yes. Institute. And um, so – the oh, sorry, I'll just put that up. I'll post that up here. Um, so the question is, is, is there a um, difference in terms of culture? Because also I noticed in the financial, I was looking at financial analysts and gender, and they said that uh, in China, uh, they don't look at the looks. You get penalized if you, if it's based on looks. So they're going based on the uh, credibility and so forth. So it's apparently it's I'll pull that article up to back up what I'm saying. But it also says that in North America, it's more based on looks, the financial analysts. It's absolutely true. Uh, China and Philippines have uh, incredibly successful women entrepreneurs and business owners. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. See, that's that really is surprising to me. That, uh, although. Maybe it's not because the commun. Well, it's it's surprising to me how China manages to mesh capitalism and communism. You know, because yeah, it's it's a very big country and it's a very small percentage that we're talking about. I mean, predominantly of China is very very poor, right? Yeah, that's a, that is a good point, Mitch. Now that you're up here. Would you like to contribute? Yeah, no, I think uh, there was a comment earlier about financial advisors. And just so you know, for example, when we were growing up, of course, my father was a business person, right? But our private banker as a family was a woman. She was American, Chinese. Um, but because she spoke to my mother intelligently, she was chosen by our family um, as financial planner because she could speak to my mother in a respectful manner and not kowtowing to my father. And so I think there's a lot to do to co about culture here as well, right? So, I mean, I 
think a lot of the stats are American-centric, but you should really see Singapore, Thailand, Malaysia, Philippines, Taiwan, big swaths of Southeast Asia. There's armies of financial planners and very, very kick-ass you know, women-led CEOs and you know a lot of firms with quite a bit of diversity around um, you know, putting to shame a lot of the Nordic companies, right? So, yeah, that's all for me. That yeah. is so. That yeah. is so cool because I always forget how American centric I am. That despite the fact that I've traveled all over the world, I've only lived in America, and I'm sure there are lots of countries that are kinder to women than America is. America if you remember, is to, to kind of segue into leadership, is one of the only countries that hasn't had a woman uh, political leader. You know, we've never had a woman president. And it doesn't seem to be that it's going to change. And it, it, it makes me feel really bad for America because we are out of touch with the rest of the world Okay, I have a rank here, Dr. Francine. Okay, the, what have you got? I have the best country to be a woman today is, let me just get to it, the Netherlands, right? So in the positions one to five, we have Netherlands, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and Finland, right? Let me go to the worst ones. So we do five of the bad ones, so we can have a comparison. So we have the last one, Central Africa Republic, Somalia, Chad, Syria, and Niger. Right? Those are the five last ones. They are the extreme. Uh, the U.S. is... Where is the U.S. on that? Okay. Uh, it's number 20. It's behind Singapore, Portugal, England, Japan, Spain, Austria. The U.S. is one position of, in front of Ireland. We are here on the 21st place. Barbara, Canada is number six. It's not bad. And Heyman, I... You are, you are, well, I don't know where you are, Steve. Where are you from? I'm in Canada, but uh, Sri Lanka is uh, where I was born. Sri Lanka. Okay. Oh, beautiful. And how is it for women in Sri Lanka? Sri Lanka, it's 92. Yeah. Oh. The position, yeah. yeah okay, the thing that I would love to add is the impact on the pandemic, because I think that's super important. Yeah. Okay. That's just where I was getting. Okay. Go ahead. That, that was so, if you want, we want to just talk about China alone. More than half women in China, fifty-six percent, expect to leave their current job because of the impact the pandemic has had on them, on their mental well-being and their burnout. Um, China. In China, yeah, in China, fifty-six percent expect to leave their current jobs. So, we're going to go back to U.S. We've got some really uh, big challenges for the age twenty-three to thirty-eight. Uh, women aged 23 to 38 um, report that they have uh, 60% less of their saved money um, because of the impact of the pandemic has had. So it's just uh, crazy 
New York Sparrow, you may want to post this, the New York Sparrow of Statistics, talk about the women have four times more greater um, dropped in the, lab- in the labor force. And seven, 78% of women, women have uh, not been able to uh, save money. So we have... Well, that, we must have be, a- that must be part of the caregiving, you know, that we in, in the United States, we put the, almost the entire family caregiving role on women. So that yeah. must be why women had to drop out of the labor force, right? Part of the part of it is that, although in Canada, in Scandinavia, caregiving is not an issue like it is uh, because Prime Minister Drew has announced that um, you, you, you have to you can pay ten dollars per child uh, for daycare a day for daycare for certified qualified daycare. So, but it is a U.S. problem, absolutely, one hundred percent. But it doesn't. It doesn't deny the fact that women all over the world <laughs> are leaving the workforce, which drives me crazy because that's been my work for thirty years, right? And to see that we're going back to the eighties, you know. Um, but just, if women are doing that by choice, no. Some of them are forced, and some of it is just well. Some are forced mental health and burnout, and some of it is just by choice. You know, women who are in their mid forties, you know, are pivoting into becoming entrepreneurs or wanting more work life harmony, right? Early fifties. <laughs> That's pretty funny. More work life harmony by becoming yeah. an entrepreneur. Exactly. That's like that's Tell a me. you know, contradiction in terms. But that's- Dr. Francine, that's what I thought. I thought I'd have work life harmony when I left Sony. I was completely wrong. Right? Right. I had more like I have more like harmony working at Sony than I do as an entrepreneur. <laughs> so once uh, the, that point, though, Barbara, I'm just curious. Yeah. Now you were working for a Japanese company, but you were yeah. based in the states or in Japan? In Canada. In Canada, and so yeah. the you weren't impacted by the Japanese gender uh, norms, were you? Or uh, I was in the sense that my boss was Japanese, and um, and actually when I won the MVP award, just to give you a sense, I was got a free ticket to Tokyo to accept the award and went, went into the elevator to go to the executive floor. I wasn't allowed to go into that elevator. I had to take the service elevator because I was a woman oh. to get my award. <laughs> so there was a bit, of, a bit of a Japanese influence there, but no, I was out of Canada. Yeah. And we but, wouldn't think that of Japan, isn't it? And just for the record, I'm not even going to bring Latin America and Africa to the debate today because it's away far even from that situations that we are discussing here yeah well let me ask you a question what does leaving the workforce really mean because i hear it all the time not only about um not only about women but you know about uh, when they count all the workforce statistics who is counted as in the workforce and who is not? It's a very good question. I can just give you some statistics around some clients who assumed that women were leaving the workforce. So, for example, consulting firms, I think I've mentioned this to you before, but consulting firm, five consulting firms, the top ones, were looking at women going on maternity leave, and they found that uh, 82% of women who went on maternity leave did not return to the original employer, so they make an they made an assumption that they stayed home, but ninety two percent returned to work, right? But they went elsewhere, right? Because their experience of going, you know, on 
maternal leave was so negative and they didn't have any assurance of what they were going to get when they returned. So they just went elsewhere where the grass, perceived grass was greener, right? So I think and there's a lot of... And that's called leaving the workforce? Wait a yeah, that, you know, see, that's the assumption. Really if you don't, yeah, exactly. If you don't do deep dive enough, you can make an assumption that they left when they didn't, right? And, you know, my hat goes off to them. They did their homework and found that 92% did return. They just didn't return to them. Yes, because yeah. I, I think all these workforce statistics are bullshit, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, I, because the workforce consists of so many different things that are not nine to five jobs. I mean, if you yeah. go to work as an Uber driver, are you in or out of the workforce? And you already said, as an entrepreneur, are we, you know, are entrepreneurs in or out of the workforce? Yeah. It's absurd to say that we're not in the workforce. What if you're in Web3? Are you in the web workforce or not? Yeah, those are very good questions. Very good questions. Yeah. So, I mean, men have, well, men have recouped their pandemic-related labor force losses while women lag behind. Again, who knows what that means? So that was that was from the uh, the national labor uh, legal national sorry. women's law yeah yeah and also they also went into details about the fact that uh, it was disproportionately higher in the Latinas Asian women and Black women uh, yes. the amount of unemployment rate yeah for instance it, uh, Lat- it is concerning it is yeah. concerning yeah. for instance Latinas were three point eight percent still unemployed Asian women two point four Black women five percent while white women remain unchanged at 2.8. Yeah. And overall, for all people, it was 3.6 unemployment and slightly higher for uh, than economics expectations of 3.5. I just don't know what to make of statistics like that, though, because we have such a strange economy now. We have so many people belonging to the creator economy, so many people, you know, so so many people living on tips, so many people, you know, being digital nomads. Yeah, yeah. The the whole structure of jobs is changing. Well, I don't know about you, but I use a lot of outsourcing, so getting my pool done or different things, property. There's a lot of cash requested, you know? Yes, cash. That's another thing. I'll, I'll, if you bill me, I'll count you 450 to owe me a pool. If you do it, I can do it 300 cash. <laughs> right? Yes, and that's what people, that, that is what people are saying. Okay, so there are a lot of people in the shadow economy. I'm just trying to figure out how women, women are doing in, in, a, in a real way, not a, you know. Okay, so what if you are, for instance, um, a singer in a nightclub or a recording artist or part of a band, are you in or out of the workforce? And also the other side of the spectrum, we're talking about farmers. I mean, uh, in the care economy, the uh, gig economy too. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I think we have the wrong stats, but that doesn't. So, so even now when I look at these, you know, what women don't have and I don't 
know if there's been these these statistics about women's negatives, um, women's negative attitudes toward finances. You know what? We are on this panel, on this stage, missing a black woman because I I am absolutely sure the black woman's experience is completely different. And I know from Clubhouse, so many more black women entrepreneurs, so many more um, black women who are, whoever said that we were up there, white women lying, we might not be lying, but we might be leaving things out because we don't have, uh, we don't have a, panel member from a marginalized, or let's put it this way, formerly marginalized community. Oh, and by the way, we, when we refer to women, because it's Pride Month, when we refer to women, um, what are we talking about? You know, there's a, (laughs) there are um, several new movies out, um, one of them is called What is a Woman? And it's about how in the era of, of gender fluidity, what we consider a woman is completely different. So that's another way in which we might be getting inaccurate statistics. But I can tell you that I can't, I mean, I can't tell you how many client or client or potential clients large corporations have gone into and I've asked them when they do their employee survey or engagement surveys, and I say, have you split it by gender? They'll say yes. And then and then I'll say, have you split it by, you know, black women or, you know, women of color versus men of color? They'll say no. So they don't have the intellect or the intelligence to really understand what's going on for women of color. And I think, and when we then go in and ask that, we see that women of color versus men score it way lower in terms of their satisfaction rate, their their ability to get mentoring and support, their potential for advancement is scored much lower. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised. Um, here's Merrill Lynch. Women are living longer than ever before. And over the past several decades, women have experienced a seismic shift as they've seen dramatic gains in personal and financial power. Yep. By age 85, women outnumber men two to one. And 81% of centenarians are women. 81%. Yeah, that's you. You'll be that. That's me. Yeah, Yeah, but guess what? 64% of women say they'd like to live to 100, yet most fear they would run out of money. In fact, 42% of women are afraid they'll run out of money by age 80. And yeah, that's, that's the fear. That's the bag lady syndrome. Yeah. While a typical retirement costs $738,000, only 9% of American women have $300,000 saved. Yeah. This is bad. This is really bad. We have work to do. Yeah, and still, apparently, women are still better multiplier when they decided to look after their 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 financial business that they do very well. 
yes, women do make better investors and more long-term in terms of how they invest and also as traders as well. And 61% of women would rather talk about their own deaths than about money. I mean, this is pretty shocking. And 65% of women say they want to invest in causes that matter to them. That would be helpful. I was um, part of a group um, called Social Ventures Arizona that attempted to, um, to combine investing and um, and helping because women feel completely comfortable being philanthropists and completely uncomfortable being investors, which is why it's kind of interesting to see Steve Jobs' Jobs's, uh, widow who bought the Atlantic and is, is investing in a media company. That's usually not something women would would invest in. Yeah, but See, I have, for example, an article that says that, on the contrary, women are not conservative when they are doing the investment and they do it properly. And there is, for example, a bank in Brazil. It's called Fidelity Bank, right? It's one of those... Um, uh, how do you say fintechs and all that? And they oh, have special that. product. Yeah, they have these special products for women. And in their portfolio, on average, zero four percent. The women, the women are making more zero point zero four four percent more than men, right? In their results in the last ten years. Yeah, sorry. There's consistent research as as, as that uh, Fidelity globally as well, and other investment firms is consistent yeah. with that. Yeah. All right, Mitch DeLeon is saying if you are not focused on billionaires, forty percent of small businesses are started and managed by women, and that's that is uh, statistics from Fundera. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's the thing that happens. Women start businesses, they become lifestyle businesses, and they, you know, they never get the publicity that the big, the big businesses get, the men-owned businesses, the unicorns, the you know, whatever, get. But on the other hand, I had a really wonderful, and I would call it successful, uh, lifestyle business because I was able to send, you know, my, okay, it, all, it says also in this Merrill Lynch thing, women invest according to their values. And, and my thought process when I went into business was I want to be able to send my children to college and, you know, and not have to ask a man. So I did that. And that to me created meant my business was very successful because I sent my children to college out of the cash flow and the income from my business. So you well, said the key uh, thing though, there, Francine. You said that I I wanted to send my kids to college. I, I haven't heard of male uh, like any startup person mention those kind of things. Yeah. I just like I want to dominate this field. It's like sort of thing. Yes, I mean number one, numero uno. 
But I also want to say, so we started about 20 years ago, maybe a little more. Because of that, because women weren't known, women like you, Dr. Francine, weren't known of, of how they operate and their different values. We started this thing called Women of Influence with Deloitte. And so those were lunches where we would bring women on stage who were successful, right? And one of the latest one was Susie Batis. I don't know if you heard of her. She, she created the Poopuri, that bathroom toilet spray thing. Uh, you probably have it in the bathroom. And, and she, she couldn't get any advertising for it. She couldn't get any finance because it was such a poo uh, brand. They called it the poo brand, right? Right. And, uh, and, and anyway, she had friends and family give chip in $500 here and there. Her company is now worth $700 million, right? $700 million. Put on stage. Her story was so different than a man, man, man entrepreneur story. I wanted to put my kids to college was one of the things that she said, right? Well, I wanted that's them right, to see that's what women say. That's right. That's what I said, that, right? That's, that's what motivated me. I wanted my family to be well and taken care of, right? And, and yeah, and nobody paid for college, right? Um, I mean, they didn't get college loans, you know. Okay, so we're right? just, we're, no, mine didn't either. My, you know, We've just hit on what I, we've buried the lead in this in this discussion. We've just hit on what is really different in women's relationship to money and men's, and what women do with regard to starting businesses and what men do. And it's that when women start a business, it's it isn't you're right to to uh hit the ball out of the park and you know do all this stuff that men always say they're going to do which ends up being you know they target you for your data and uh sell it to advertisers no i didn't really mean that guys but you know you know what i'm saying i started a business that had the goal of putting my children through college and helping my family to a better standard of living. That is what is called, what is known as a lifestyle business. There are so many of those businesses that are started by women and grown by women and run by women for the sole purpose of leading a better lifestyle. And those never get any attention. And that is something that I wish, you know, I wish we had I, talked about more. I think, that is, I think that is super important because, um, you know, when you look at really the, the, the values of women, the core values that we discovered, one was happy family, happy employees come before high profit. Positive work environment, welcome environment um, before profits, contributing to a higher purpose, networking and social support. Those were the four fundamental values that women brought, bring as entrepreneurs. And I would, I, I would say that goes for me big time, you know, family first. So you see when you look statistically at women in business, you see the growth. Women tend to be more successful long term as entrepreneurs. Men will fail up to seven different, uh, no experiments on entrepreneur being an entrepreneur. Women tend to stick to one or two, and they stay very, very long term with it. 
but they they hit a certain ceiling they stay at that ceiling and what's wrong with that so what's Barbara, wrong with that? is are you saying then that basically women have more to risk um and their decisions are based on that well women, women think, go ahead i think our decisions are based more on sustainability yes exactly i mean we we don't wish to fail we are willing not to hit for the fences so that we do not lose our businesses yeah that's exactly and, right yeah and I, i'll give you a personal i had a, a a firm i can't tell you which one that were pitching me about five years ago and wanting to buy my company and uh, very very aggressively in a in a very nice way whining and dining and all that stuff and I thought, why would I want to do that? Why I'm happy, my family's happy, you know, we're we're making, you know, good few million here and there. It's all good. Why when when is enough enough? Why do I need to grow it to five hundred million dollars? You know, what's the big thing, you know? So I really think there's that part of that value too, is that I don't want to be on top of the heap, you know? It's funny you oh, made that question oh, no. because when enough is enough, because this is one of the questions I did years ago. I said, I asked my husband and I don't think most men think has this frame of mind. They always looking to make more, to make more, to make more. And some of them break on this or others. I don't know what happened, but I mean, I find interest that women even have this, uh, it's almost like a, a, a sense of uh, self, of balance, of, you know, amazing. And there's some interesting... It's balance. Here. It and is. And it, I want to say, I want to read what Bonita Banducci for, in the chat said, for women, their business is like a child they don't give up on. And that is the truth. You know, the, the books on startups are all written by men who say, fail fast. You know, <laughs> and that's exactly what Rick also in the chat says, like to uh, that is what men are groomed for to beat others. We are not groomed to get what we need. We are groomed to do better than that guy. And Gregory says men are verifiers. Women are validators. Men want to be rich. Women want to enrich enrich, which is nice. Very nice. Love yeah, I really love Very this great. chat. I, you know, usually I don't spend a lot of time looking at the room chat, but I realize now, and this is something that I've learned after two, you know, years of doing this, um, I, I have just learned that a lot of people don't necessarily want to speak, but they do want to be part of the conversation and they want to be there. So thank you, everybody, who yeah, is part thank of you. the and, conversation. And beautifully. From, yeah, from yeah, beautifully. And I yeah. think it's worth it to remind and point to everybody that actually the first self-made millionaire woman in the world, it's Madame C.J. Walker. Yes, that's exactly right. Madame C.J. Walker. A black woman. That's right. She was a black woman and she made a hair um, product. And she was a self-made millionaire. And that's why now um, I would bet on black women as the next stage of entrepreneurship for sure. It's coming. 
believe me, I see it on Clubhouse every day. And But let me yeah. put a point on one more thing, though. I mean, like, if you think about it, there's that, and then there's skinny woman who made a drink for women and everything else. So when would women be breaking out of their mold? I know there's Canva and out of Australia sort of made a product that was for globally, right, for men and women. But I'm wondering, like, are most of the big breakthroughs, are they for, like, in the sort of this kind of space, uh, even in the marketing, if you look at online TikTok marketing, it's mostly like for products like makeup and products, you know, like those kind of products. When will women break out of that mold as well? Will they? Do they need to? I, I think, they won't. I think and you know what? Stop. I don't want them to. Exactly. Why should they? Okay. Why can't we be It doesn't have to be the case, Heyman. I was talking to a, a, a woman scientist, and she invented with another um, a scientist, uh, you know, this this coating that you can use for airplanes that doesn't burn uh, in extreme heat. And so, you, women are, you know, disrupting in many, yeah. m- many other. You know, no, that's what I wanted to. Like women, that, yeah. That's exactly what I was trying to point out. Like, I'm wondering whether we're also making a disservice by not pointing out those kind of, uh, like those kind of achievements, right? Uh, because I think it's it's absolutely right to not focus on the unicorns because they're just super profitable cockroach companies that women have started yeah. that you don't hear about or think about, but they're immensely profitable and maybe not. You know, there's some more profitable companies in Sweden started by women that's more profitable than Spotify. Like Epic, yes. the the healthcare company. The health, oh, yeah. Uh, Epic, of course. Yeah, yeah. electronic Epic. health record. It's like one yeah, of the biggest of run by a woman. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. yeah, that's why we really need to stage these women because there are such a diversity of women. Um yeah, I think it's super important to do that. So that's what I was trying to get at. Sorry, Francine. It's just that whenever I hear women talk, it's usually like the the arts, the makeups and everything else, which is fine, which is exactly what you should be doing because that's your, I mean, that's like, just like men. It's what you know. Exactly. Totally, exactly. Yeah. What yeah. You know. But also like but, the. But that's in a social level, right? Right. All right, well, we have to wrap the room because Barbara and I are going on to another room about that. Shell and, and burnout. Yes. Yeah, and, uh, and just to complete the information on Madame C.J. Walker, there's here CSK Consultancy. Oh, hello. Why didn't you come up? I invited, anyway, I invited her. It, no, it's him. Oh, him. She, yeah, she also created a, the first incubator for women entrepreneurs. She says can't sign, can't come up right now. All right. Yeah. Next week, I am hoping that I will have something to tell you about social tokens and karma. And even if there is no decision about social tokens and karma, I think we ought to talk about cryptocurrency because cryptocurrency is a focus um, of women right now. Many women creators jumped into NFTs, women artists, and when the market collapsed, they were going to, they had to pivot and face the fact that they were dragged into this environment that basically men dragged them into. And when the thing collapsed and fell on its face, 
they were caught, you know, under the rubble, so to speak. And I think I might be able to have one of them come on and talk about what the the change in the crypto and NFT market means for women. 